I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. Today in the show, we're here for Rut Fresh Radio, in which we're getting updates from hunters all across the country on the latest deer activity, current conditions, and the tactics that can work for you right now. All right, welcome to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And uh, it's a rut fresh radio day. We are still on it, getting updates from all across the country on what's happening in the whitetail woods. And at this time of the year, it's not really, you know, rut related. It's going to be more so weather related it's going to be more so what's the food source deer feeding on different things like that because we're we're into their late season this is this is that time of year where if you've got certain things in your favor you could be in for some great hunts if you don't have those things in your favor it might be really rough um something that's nice to have in your favor is to have some friends that have got a primo property that uh, they invite you to go hunt and, and and chase and explore big bucks on. And Spencer, I hear that's what you have been up to recently. Have you been uh, putting together a beautiful case study for us on how to kill a big old mega giant buck in December? Uh, man, after this last week, um, it seems pretty simple. So I just got home <laughs> from Kansas. Um, I was hunting with our friends Nate and Thomas Crick, from Identical Jaw. You've heard them on Rut Fresh Radio before, uh, maybe even on the regular podcast. I don't know if they've been on an episode or not, Mark. Um, not yet. But they, they bought um, 80 acres in Kansas and decided they were going to turn it into a deer mecca. Have you ever heard of anybody doing anything like that, Mark? You know, I've heard of someone trying to do it in a slightly less interesting <laughs> state than Kansas. Um, they did all right, but maybe not as big a bucks as uh, the the Kansas 80. <laughs> sure. Yep. So those it might, guys it might be something that rhymes with uh, back 40. That's right. That's right. So those guys invited me down to come and hunt their Kansas 80 property this fall. And so I went down there for gun season. And now I came home with my biggest buck of the year. You know, from a tactics standpoint, 
we knew that there was going to be good movement here. These guys have had this property for a few years, and they were telling me that last December and last January, their trail cameras had big bucks um, like damn near every day in December and January, and it's for one big reason. They had the best food. While everyone else um, had picked corn and picked soybeans, these guys had standing soybeans, they had clover, and they had brassicas, and the deer really wanted to be there. Um, and, and their trail cameras almost function as many people's do during the rut when new, new bucks are showing up and you're like learning about these bucks that are in the neighborhood and they're just like passing through the property. Well, for them, that happens right now because they have the best food. Um, and, and that's how we ended up killing this deer. We killed them on the fifth night. And we had hunted every day, morning and evening. And after the second morning, we had kind of decided, like, we probably shouldn't even be in here in the morning. This property just doesn't set up well to kill a buck in the morning. December morning hunts are already hard enough the way it is. Even when you have, like, a manicured property for whitetails, it's still really hard to do. So after that second morning, we're like, we're just going to do more harm than good. If we're in here, so we're going to leave it alone in the mornings, then I went and hunted some public ground nearby. Um, but each evening, the deer did what we wanted them to. They showed up to this beans and brassicas plot. They they were looking for what was the best food in the area, and we were waiting there for them. We knew, logically, that if we were there every single night, at some point, a mature buck was going to slip up and show up in daylight, and that's what happened. How? What kind of, like, quantity of food are we talking like so something that people often ask is is how much good food do you need to actually draw deer in, in the way that these guys were able to are we talking a half acre food plot or is this 20 acres of food so this if, if you look at aerial it looks pretty insignificant because you're surrounded by thousands and thousands of acres of egg land but when all that egg land is suddenly picked over um and there's not much around all the deer came to this property and they had three different plots. Two of them were pretty small, like less than a half acre. And the one that we ended up hunting was three and a half acres. That was all it took to like draw in all these deer from all over this neighborhood. And when you say all these deer, I mean, are you seeing five deer a night? Are you seeing 15 deer a night? What kind of quantity? Yeah, five to 15. They had said that their deer density is kind of low right there. They had some of the QDMAs QDMA guys come out and walk their property and look at their trail cameras and, and sort of assess the deal. And they had told them that they were shocked by um, the lack of deer that were kind of in the area. Now, this property used to be a cattle property. Deer kind of have, right, like a shared memory of an area. And so there could be five and a half, six and a half year old bucks walking around that have never known this property as anything other than a cattle property. So while this December, you know, we were only seeing five to 15 deer a night out there. I could see in five years for these guys that it's double that number just because more and more deer are going to know about this and, and they're going to be there for them. Yeah. Another question I had for you, and it's related to that whole December morning thing. You know, we've talked about this in past episodes and past years, um, but a lot of people wonder, like, should I be hunting the mornings at this time of the year? Um, in this case, you said that it was just you're you're maybe doing more harm than good. Can you elaborate on why this spot was not setting up well for a late season morning hunt? I'm I'm not even sure like what a good property sets up at sets up as as a late season morning hunt. I think ideally if you wanted to have a good late season morning set, you would need 
some sort of distance between where they're bedding and where their food is. Um, so if I were to think about, um, like creating a property, it would be some food like they had, which is beans and brassicas, and then maybe like some CRP between that food and timber, um, where they have to kind of pass through every single morning. Now this property didn't have that. It was straight timber right to the food. And so deer would pop out and they would be on top of you. And so it, it was just like such a tiny window where the deer would be visible before they'd be going off to bed. Even when you have like a great property like this, there's just very few situations I think where you're going to find like a really good setup in December for whitetails. Yeah, it's tough. There's there's not a whole lot of room for error at this point in the season, especially in those mornings. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that persistence paid off for you. You, you got to walk me through the details, at least of the last night. So you sat the same bean plot five nights in a row. Uh, tell me the exact setup. Like, how were you set up in relation to, were you on the opposite side from the bedding? Were you on the same side of the field as the bedding? You know, did these were the deer flooding out there the whole night or was it a last two two minutes of the day kind of thing what the hell did this buck look like spencer paint me a picture okay so before <laughs> i got down there these guys were sending me some trail cam pictures like here's some of the bucks that are around but keep in mind that again new deer tend to show up for us in december one of the last trail cam photos they sent they're like this is one of our og bucks this is one that's been around since we bought the property two years ago, we would love if you were able to kill this buck. But we've only seen him in person one time ever, and that was in July of this year. Other than that, they're very familiar with this deer. It's maybe one of the deer they're most familiar with. Um, they had never really laid eyes on him in season. So that was like the buck we hoped to kill. But, um, man, I wasn't going to let like any four-and-a-half-year-old four-by-four walk by. If they gave me an opportunity, I was going to kill it. Yeah. On the last hunt. Those 4 by 4s have got to know it's dangerous to walk past you because that's like your, your kryptonite, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I don't uh, – I'm going to need to kill a hell of a lot more of them before I see one, and I'm like, mm, no, not going to shoot it. Uh, <laughs> and, and that wasn't it. the case in Kansas. If one slipped up in front of me, I was going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, so so you, did you end up seeing some bucks like that, though? I, I, I feel like on Instagram I saw that you were seeing some shooters but like too far out of range or not quite a shot, or what was the deal with that? So Nate and Tom have only ever bow hunted deer. They have never gun hunted. Um, so me rolling in with a rifle was pretty foreign to them. And I had explained to them, I was like, um, to kill a deer with a gun, you basically just need to lay eyes on them. Like a, a rifle hunt ends where a bow hunt begins. And so when we're overlooking this three and a half acre plot, and if we set up in the middle of it, and even if there's a marginal wind, we just need a buck to like get his front hoof in the food plot and I can kill him. <laughs> yeah. It can just end right there. Um, so like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, so we, we ended up setting up with some marginal winds because I'm like, we, we just need him to like show up. And so the first night a buck just shows up and then he, he slips away into the timber and I don't get a shot. The second night, two more, um, what we identified as mature bucks that I would have killed did the same thing. Just like showed up, almost got that front hoof in the paw and then disappeared after like, you know, 10 seconds because we were kind of hunting these marginal winds and we threw up a ground blind in a spot that there hadn't been. Um, so the first two evenings we just had the deer too suspicious. The fifth night though, the deer had finally been fine with the, the blind. 
they were showing up earlier. Um, they would walk, you know, within 20 yards of the blind. They just didn't care about it. And so when I say we had first close or when we had close calls, um, we did because we laid eyes on them, but I was, I was exaggerating a bit. We need to lay eyes on them. Plus get like 10 seconds, um, where I can, where I can get the scope (laughs) on them. So it was close. It was close. On the fifth night, we had only seen, we'd seen nothing up until sunset. Absolutely nothing. Ten minutes after sunset, one roll, one small buck rolls in, um, and then we had sunset at five. Or excuse me, shooting light ended at five twenty-eight. And and here's what happened between five twenty and five twenty-six. We had eight more deer roll into the field. It went dodo, 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 young buck, um, and then the buck that I ended up killing, which we think is this five and a half year old buck. He's a four by four, but he's got all kinds of junk. He has 15 scorable points. Um, he is incredibly narrow. He only has, um, 11 and a half inches for a width. Um, That's so crazy. Is, yeah. It, this is just <laughs> like awesome. a straight up rack. And I think if you maybe <clears throat> like caught a glimpse of this buck in the timber at some point, he was just looking at you. You'd be like, Oh, you know, a young buck or whatever. But because we had so many trail cam pictures of him, um, and we had a chance to see him broadside and stuff. Um, we, we knew what he was. And so he rolled out into the beans with about two minutes of shooting light left. And this was finally the buck that allowed us to lay our eyes on him. Plus give us that 10 seconds. So he, he rolled out of the beans about 50 yards from where we had the blind set up. And, and he was walking quartering away. He had some place he wanted to be and there was some specific spot in the brassicas or the beans that he wanted to get to, to feed. Um, and I shot him about 70 yards and he ran to the edge of the food plot and died. And that was my Kansas hunt. Man. Wow. You kind of couldn't write it up much better. I mean, you had a little drama and that you had to wait all the way to the fifth day. So it felt like you worked for it, but then, uh, the success finally arrived and he died in sight. I mean, that's, uh, if ever there was an editor's story coming together, that's that's it right there, Spencer. <laughs> exactly. And and we had kind of went into that last night. Um, and this is something you're going to hear talked about in this week's episode of Rut Fresh Radio. The weather hasn't been great. The weather forecast coming up doesn't look great. And what I mean by that is just like very monotonous, um, above average temperatures. Where we were at in Kansas coming up here, it was going to get into the low 70s this week. On that Sunday, though, the high was like 43 and the low was like 20. We had uh, sort of a stronger north wind than what we've had. And we're like, this is is probably our best shot. Um, You know, we're going to be hunting for like the next seven days if it doesn't happen tonight. But this is probably the night. And it all worked out. That's awesome, man. That's right. That's right. Now, I know, Mark, in the past, you've talked a lot about like what is the ideal weather in December and how that can change things. So like what should hunters be crossing their fingers for when they open up their weather app right now? Well, you know, it's not terribly different than what you'd like to see at the beginning of October or at the end of October. Like I'd love to see a cold front hitting just at this time of the year, you know, instead of it being, you know, from 70 degrees to a 50 degree day, you know, I'm looking for a 35 degree a day dropping down to a 10 degree day or something obviously adjust that for wherever in the country you live but we're, we want the colder the temperatures the better 
uh, usually higher barometric pressures, as is the case, you know, all year, are indicative of what you're getting after a big front like that pushes through. So those days after the front hits, where you've got some bluebird skies, you've got that really cold weather finally, maybe some snow fell. You know, the more snow, the better too. If you're in part of the country where you get snow, that's going to be a really good thing to get deer feeling like they have to feed. And that's what you're counting on this time of year, as you described. We need these deer to really feel the pressure to put the feed bag on. Those are the nights when more deer than usual will move. It's those nights when the big old buck that maybe doesn't want to move in daylight, a lot of the time when he's going to say, eh, I got to get going. Um, those are the days we're going to get that little extra push. So, you know, I don't, I don't see anything like that coming down the line for me in Michigan, but uh, it's certainly what you hope for. Yeah. And so with that said, you're going to hear a little bit of pessimism from our guests this week. And who we talked to is Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA in Minnesota, Hunter Forbes in Kentucky from Southern Whitetail Outfitters, and then in Oklahoma, it's Clay Forrest from Stewart Ranch Outfitters, and then Bo Martonic from East Meets West Hunt in Pennsylvania. Sweet. He just killed a dandy out there, didn't he? He did. That was um, like a mega buck for any part of the country. But then when you consider there's probably not a corner bean field um, within 100 miles of where he killed that buck in the, the mountains of Pennsylvania, that's a giant. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, uh, I'm excited to hear more about it from uh, from him and all the rest of the guys. So should we just get right in? Well, you know, hold on. Before we get to a Spencer, I have to make a couple plugs. Are you willing to hear me out on that? Do your thing. All right, number one, Back 40 episodes are still coming out every Sunday. Last weekend, my episode in which I kill my whitetail out on the Back 40 came out. So check that out. I got the drop time buck on the ground finally. Really cool hunt. Um, And then here in a couple days, our last episode of the season will be coming out in which we brought the hunt giveaway winner and then a new hunter out to the property. So you can find all that over at the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Really proud of how those things are turning out. So check them out. Hit a like button on there if you could. Give us a comment if you want. Make sure you subscribe. Um, And then finally, there's also... As is the case, a lot of places all over the web these days. Some cool sales going on over at Meat Eater. We've got a 12 Days of Christmas sale going on. So if you just go to TheMeatEater.com or check out the store over at The Meat Eater, you're going to see a different product coming up for sale every day. I saw something like 20% or more maybe off for some of these things. Uh, I think there's going to be T-shirts. There's going to be DVDs. There's going to be, I don't know, all sorts of good stuff from The Meat Eater folks. You can find it there. So is there anything else you know of Spencer going on that we should be telling people about? Well, if you want to see this buck that we just talked about that I killed in Kansas, you can head over to my Instagram at Spencer Newharth or check out the twins that I was hunting with. That's Nate and Thomas Crick, and their Instagram handle is at Identical Draw. Wonderful. All right, Spencer, I'd say uh, take it away. Talk to you next week, Mark. Sounds good. All right, and joining us online first is Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA in Minnesota. Now, Alex, in Minnesota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, I'd say lately it's probably been about a 3. It's been uh, really slow here, um, and right now conditions aren't really helping matters. It's been abnormally warm, and we have really no snow, which up here in northern Minnesota this time of year is usually cold. And cold and snow helps uh, with the hunting, and right now we don't have either, so it's been pretty slow. I know you just helped a buddy recover a buck a few days ago. Tell us about that setup, why you guys were there, and why that buck was there. Yeah, so that was my good buddy Garrett, who I do pretty much all of my 
all of my hunting with here in Minnesota. And that was the pretty much the one evening here in the past week or so that, that we've even seen a buck and it just happened to work out. He actually had gone, gone into a spot, um, and did a hanging hunt that we had identified the week before and we had hung a trail camera. We had a number of bucks using the area, um, pretty much all at night. And what this spot is, is just a little, there's kind of like a little CRP field that these deer kind of filter through at, in the evenings and the mornings headed to, headed to food. And we pretty much set up um, just about 40 or 50 yards off that in the timber. And Gary was able to catch, catch uh, this buck coming through, headed out that way right at last light. I mean, he shot it with, I think, two minutes to spare or something and uh, was able to put a, a new buck down that had just showed up in the area on camera about a week ago. Where do you run most of your trail cameras in December? So right now, if you know, if I can get them over any type of food sources, and so for me, being up here in Minnesota, I don't have um, any ag around where I hunt or anything like that. If you have that, I would you know recommend that. But I've got you know stuff in the timber such as buckthorn that a lot of deer are keen in on this time of year. Um, but like I had said before, with the the lack of snow right now, deer are really spread out in my area, so it can be kind of challenging this time of year. When you're doing some in-season scouting, late season, what sorts of things are you looking for? So pretty much what I'm just trying to identify is where the deer are spending the most of their time feeding and then where they're bedding. So I am doing a lot of in-season scouting this time of year, um, and especially if conditions ever change. So, for example, last year in the same area that I'm hunting now, we had two feet of snow. And so what the deer were doing last year is completely different than what they're doing now. And so getting out there, scouting, you know, we have a little bit of snow where I can check to see where, you know, trails that have been used frequently or being used recently and uh, doing a lot of moving around. So I'm constantly out scouting right now, hanging new sets and kind of doing that almost daily. If you had some sort of weather event in Minnesota, would you expect to see a shift in bedding at all? I would expect to see the shift in bedding if we were to get a substantial amount of snow. So pretty much where I hunt is all on a, essentially it's a humongous hill. And as there's no snow, deer can bed pretty much anywhere and as we get more and more snow it pushes them down this huge hill towards the bottom and that would definitely change things are you doing any morning hunts in december um i am not doing a lot of morning hunts if it's if we're going to get you know right now with it being particularly warm if we have any days where the low is going to be pretty cold and it'll be a lot warmer in the afternoon than it's going to be in the morning i'll definitely try and get out for a morning hunt is water focus for you at all in northern minnesota during late season um, not really for me. If there is usually at this time of year, if there is any type of water, it's all frozen over. Um, and even where I'm at, there's pretty much nothing for water sources for me right now. Going forward then this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Minnesota? I hope it can get, go up a, a few ticks to hopefully about a, a five or a six. Um, the weather is supposed to be warmer for the next few days and it's supposed to start dropping and getting down into the to the 20s with lows in the around 10, 11, 12 degrees. So I'm hoping that, you know, there's no snow in the forecast. I'm hoping the colder temperatures will, will help that, that buck activity here in the next week or so. All right, Alex, I hope you get that weather you're looking for. Good luck with what's left of your season, and thanks for joining me. All right, appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer. All right, and joining us on the line next is Hunter Forbes in Kentucky from Southern Whitetail Outfitters. Now, Hunter, in Kentucky, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? So, so I'm going to give it about a 4 as of lately. Um, because of that, we really hadn't had consistently cold weather. We finally got a little bit of it. Um, deer just recovering from rifle season. 
And yeah, we're sitting at about a four right now. Um, hoping to improve this next week. What is the ideal weather that you're looking for in Kentucky in December? Um, the colder, the better. Uh, in Kentucky, you're allowed to bait them. And between that and the food sources, you know, uh, the colder, the, the more activity you're going to see. Um, we're going into late muzzleloader season this weekend. So we're just trying to hunt food sources. And colder it gets, the, the more they got to eat. So that's kind of how we're playing it. I know you run a lot of trail cameras there on your properties. Where do you want those in the late season? Yeah, it, it's sticking to food. It's pretty much how we're playing it. Uh, we transitioned from hunting mornings in November um, to just afternoons um, going from this point forward. Uh, a lot of the key for us is access. You know, a lot of leaves are off trees. Um, a lot of times they're going to be bedding closer to food sources. And so a lot of what we're doing is just playing the access smart, um, getting in around lunch and sticking it out the rest of the evening. So is there a scenario in December on your properties where you'll be hunting in the mornings? Uh, once again, it goes back to access. If you can you know, sneak in the back door somewhere from them going from a food source back to bedding, um, it's relevant. And also, if you're noticing on your cameras that you're seeing some rut activity, a lot of times that second rut is, is starting to happen right around this time. Um, and, yeah, it, it's possible. Um, as a whole, though, we, we try to just stick to afternoons. But, yeah, there's definitely some scenarios where you can make it happen. You mentioned that the bedding seems to move closer to food. How close to your food sources are we talking that these beds shift to? It's kind of relevant to cover and a lot of different factors. Um, depends how close, especially if you are baiting them, you know, how close you're putting it to bedding. Um, but a lot of times it'll be within 100 yards. Um, ideally, you'd want to stretch them out a little bit further if you can play elevation, uh, since you really don't have the you know, foliage on the trees and stuff uh, to be able to get in tight to that. Besides bait, what other food sources are relevant right now in Kentucky? All the good farmers already have their crops out, it seems like. So you're, you got cut fields um, as far as the corn and beans go. A lot of, a lot of the, uh, the cut corn fields turn into wheat. Um, and so those are going to be a little bit better on your warmer days. Uh, it seems like they're more so on the grain when it's cold. So there is cut bean fields, the corn fields, um, and then, like I said, that wheat growing up. And then, of course, whatever food plots you've done, um, it seems like our brassicas are just starting to be hit um, decently well after we had a couple couple of good freezes last week. So how do your setups change if we have a cold front versus a warm front in the late season, or do they both look the same? For the most part, it's looking the same for us because we're we're mixing up our food to have it all in one. Um, For instance, you know, putting grain out around those wheat fields around our food plots, um, having the mix of you know, your greens um, and your grain around each other. So it's kind of all in one package. Um, it's kind of how we're playing it. Historically, do you see much of a secondary rut on your properties in Kentucky? We actually do. We have a pretty high deer population, a lot of does. Um, wish it was a little bit closer to ratio, but it's just not um, pretty hard to control for us. And so a lot of those does don't get bred and they are coming back in. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a real thing for us. And when is that window that you're typically seeing that kind of action? Right, right around now. It's always traditionally around that opening of the uh, the late muzzleloader season, uh, which falls on Saturday for us. You know, so yeah, I'm gonna say from right now being about the ninth, you know, running on till around the twelfth to 14th is typically the uh, the peak of what we see as far as the second rut goes. It does vary property to property. Like I said, wherever those higher doe populations for us are, where we see it more so. 
going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Kentucky? We got a cold front coming through. Looks like uh, we got some rain Saturday and that Sunday, Monday looks pretty good. I'm going to give it, you know, something up there at around a 7. Um, they should be on the food. They should be on their feet chasing a little bit with that secondary rut. So, yeah, I feel, feel good about a 7. All right, Hunter, good luck to you and your hunters in camp. Thanks for joining me. Okay, Spencer, you too. Have a good one. All right, and joining us on the line next is Clay Forrest from Stewart Ranch Outfitters in Oklahoma. Now, Clay, in Oklahoma, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I'm going to give it about a 5 right now, uh, and the reason I'm going to do that is, you know, our rut, for the most part, in the southern part of the state, is it's pretty much all the way done. Um, and a lot of bucks are kind of grouping back up and, and hitting food sources, so... You know, for the most part, bucks are kind of licking their wounds and uh, kind of getting back to, to food sources. So it's it's not really, really good, but it's not really, really bad. So I'm going to stick with that kind of that number of five, kind of mid, mid-range with buck activity in Oklahoma right now. With that high density that you have around your place, do you normally notice any kind of a secondary rutting action? Uh, we do. Uh, we will see a little bit of a, of a secondary rut this time of year and really push all the way into Christmas, but it's really few and far between. And it's something that I would never count on uh, if we were, if we were trying to focus on a, on a trophy animal. Um, it's just, it's not anything that uh, you can kind of put your hat on. So this time of year, we're really focusing on food sources and getting to where those bucks are trying to kind of uh, regroup from from the rut, you know, winding down that sort of thing. So, if it were me, and if I, you know, with with, with clients and, and hunting personally, we're we're really focusing on and focusing on food sources. What are those food sources that you're focused on? Uh, for us, uh, we plant about a hundred acres of small food plots, and we have uh, and uh, turnips planted in those. And then winter wheat is a big food source just in this area so a, a lot of uh farmers and ranchers plant winter wheat for for uh, stalker cattle so you're really focusing on those winter wheat fields or our late season food plots or we've got we can feed corn in this area too you know that's where a base state so corn feeders are, are a, a source of food as well but for the most part a lot of these deer don't get too much amount of corn they're really focusing on that that green source of food that winter wheat turnips oats you know anything that's sort of an ag type field are you doing any kind of morning setups in December? Uh, we do. Um, you, for us, in the morning, you if you're going to, especially to a big winter wheat field, you got to get in early because those deer are going to be there early. So we will get guys in 45 minutes to an hour before daylight just because we know there's going to be deer on the field so we don't push them out completely. What is the ideal weather that you're looking for in December in Oklahoma? Uh, right now it's about 75 degrees. So I, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, honestly, just kind of right around all oh, that 35 to 45 degree mornings, 50 degree afternoons. If we can get some weather coming, we've got a front coming in on Friday. So I'm sure deer will be moving in front and behind that with that pressure change. So really kind of just looking for those fronts that come through and hunting in, in front of and behind those those cold fronts that are blowing through um, and it seems like a day or two after those fronts blow through and the weather kind of normalizes a little bit we really have some good success that next one or two days after the front blows through so really kind of focusing on those cold fronts and then the day or two after that following gun season in december do you notice any kind of shift in bedding in oklahoma not really not on our place um 
and not like I'm just speaking for ourselves right now, but our deer for the most part stick to big, tall native grass pastures for bedding. Um, and you'll find them in some of these mesquite flats and some little thicker areas. But for the most part, bedding doesn't really change uh, for us as far as what mature deer does for that for that fact. Uh, where they bed um, normally from December all the way, you know, back into the summertime. So their their bedding patterns typically don't change a whole lot. Where are you running a lot of your trail cameras right now? Food sources, they're, they're all back on food right now, whether that be a, a feeder or just right in the middle of the bed food plot or, or wheat field so i would 100 percent have all of your uh all of your cameras for information on uh, on food sources has sign making pretty much gone cold for you for the most part you're still seeing a little bit of uh some some fresh rubs you know maybe some fresh grapes that sort of thing with a little bit of post rut activity but again I, it's not really anything that i would count on as far as trying to get a mature deer down um it's just kind of that that post secondary rut just those few deer that hadn't got a, a doe bread or anything down is, is that sign making is happening going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in oklahoma i'd be a little more optimistic i'd probably push it to around a seven we've got a front coming in on friday and we're supposed to have a little bit of weather on friday into saturday and then some uh some nicer more december like weather for oklahoma in the next week so i think that's really going to help i think deer are really going to be focusing on food and with that little pressure change i think we uh we should have some good activity in this next uh, week or 10 days in this part of the state all right clay congrats to all the success your clients have had this year you guys have done an awesome job based on instagram good luck with what's left of your season thanks for joining me all right. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it. All right. And joining us on the line next is Bo Martonic from East Meets West Hunt in Pennsylvania. Now, Bo, in Pennsylvania, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, it depends on where you're at, but I would say that the buck activity in my area in northern Pennsylvania has been about a 7. And I'll say that because I don't think that normally they'd be moving on a 7, but with the amount of hunters with deer season coming in, uh, last week so the rifle season most hunters per square mile anywhere at that time of year in, in the united states here in pennsylvania and the deer are moving because people are moving them so that's uh, a little bit different than your typical reasons for movement but i think that made it a little bit higher now you just killed a mega mountain whitetail uh, out there this last weekend during rifle season tell us about that hunt why you were there and why that buck was there so it seems like with hunting pressure in Pennsylvania and it, they, in the mountains here, that they're either on the tops or in the bottom. So people don't like walking those steep side hills. And from my, my trail cameras and then just past knowledge, they seem to like to stick to those side hills, especially with the pressure. So what we did was me and, and my buddy Johnny went off on the point of this hill on the edge of some thick hemlock cover the prevailing wind was coming across the top of the hill had some rising thermals everything was a perfect picture perfect uh hunt as far as where that buck would be bedded and we didn't know that specific deer was going to be in there but was hoping so and just on the edge of of that thick cover um, my dad came around the side of the hill and did a little bit of a wind bump to him and the deer stepped out at 20 yards from me and i was able to shoot him right on the edge of the open oak in the thick hemlock cover 
Now, I know in the past, Bo, we've interviewed you for some articles on TheMeatEater.com where you've talked about how these bucks like to bed, I think, on the upper third of hills in big woods. Do you notice that same thing in late season, and why do they want to be on that upper third? So, yeah, it, it does depend. So most of the time they like to be on that upper third because they can have that prevailing wind come across the top and they can so they're covered from the back and they can see down over the the hill but also get those daytime thermals coming up and hitting them in the front so they're they're basically covered from all angles and and also if if something did come from behind them they can just bomb off the edge of the hill and get away pretty pretty easily as it gets into late season i have noticed they kind of um, they kind of drop a little bit lower. Um, it, all, it all depends on the food, but in the specific area, he was actually bedded more towards the middle ground. So the, I, I, probably towards the bottom of that upper one third. And because that's where the acorn seemed to be lower. So he could leave his, the thick hemlock thermal cover to protect him, you know, from the, the cold winds and, and everything else. And also just keeping out of sight of people but also be able to take a few steps and, and be in the acorns within 80 yards. So, it, you know, close proximity to food, uh, it seems like they moved a little bit closer to the, the food in the late season. What are the different types of food sources that you're looking for this time of year in Pennsylvania? The two main ones are if you can find any red oaks that still have the acorns um, on the ground, that seems to be a hot ticket item right now, and also fresh logging cuts. So where they're just the fresh timber cuts um, is, is even if the loggers are in there during the week, the weekend it can be great because they cut down the tops and creates a ton of browse and seems to the filter the deer in. With the hunting pressure right now, uh, you're gonna it's mostly first and last light in those logging cuts. If you're doing some in-season scouting, late season, what sorts of things are you looking for? Food trying to figure out where they're feeding in relation to that thermal cover. And typically on, um, on those side hills, those points. Um, so I'm looking for hemlock trees, uh, pine trees, anything like that in relation to either the, the oak trees or, or logging cuts. What does your trail camera placement look like in December in the big woods? I'm still keeping them on scrapes and travel routes seem to be but but close to that that cover if i have a with my cell cameras i typically run those almost in the bedding areas pretty close because i don't need to go in there and check them um, but otherwise I'm, I'm still running them on scrapes they still seem to be checking those licking branches as they're heading out towards those food sources so for how long do you think that scrapes and rubs are going to be relevant there um I, I will typically run that through even into january um, they'll, they seem, I, I found fresh grapes this past weekend, um, being worked and, but it's not the same as your rut scrapes. I'm talking about the ones that are super close to the bedding or the food sources. The ones that are more relevant for hunting seem to be closer to the, to the, the bedding cover, um, for, for this time of year, mostly because of pressure and, um, and they're not going as far for the, for the food there. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Pennsylvania? I think it's going to drop uh, down to about a 4 or a 5. So, one, they are hiding. Um, they're hiding now. They've been having a week and a half of gun season pressure as well as we have some warm temperatures coming in. 
So I think the daylight movement is going to be definitely significantly lower than it was even the past week. Art Bo, congrats again on that awesome buck. Uh, good luck with the rest of your season and, and tell people where they can go on Instagram to see that whitetail you just killed. Yeah, so they can head over either my personal page, which is at bo.martonic, it's spelled B-E-A-U dot M-A-R-T-O-N-I-K, or at East Meets West Hunt. All right, Bo, congrats again. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Spencer. And that concludes this week's episode of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Alex, Hunter, Clay, and Bo for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. My season is officially over but we're going to keep making rut fresh episodes for a few more weeks. So I hope you're still listening. I hope you're still in the woods. And until I talk to you guys next Wednesday, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.